So we're continuing our series today called You Ask For It. We're looking for answers to life's big questions from the Bible. And today we're going to deal with the question, why does Jesus say I have to hate my family to follow him? And we dealt with this question three, maybe four years ago, uh, but it's a good question. And just so you know, the person who submitted this question, I know that she loves Jesus and that she loves her family. She, but the question comes from what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14. Here's what he said. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Wow, did I read that right? Those are strong words. And they come from the mouth of Jesus who is gentle and meek and mild. Jesus who uh, taught us to love our enemies. The same Jesus that Isaiah referred to as the Prince of Peace. The Jesus who promised that the world will know his followers by how we love each other. Hmm. And yet this same Jesus is asking me to hate my wife and my children and my parents. Hmm. But doesn't the Bible tell me in Ephesians that I have to love my wife and love my kids? Doesn't the Bible tell me to love and honor my parents? But here Jesus clearly said, if you don't hate your father, mother, wife, children, and siblings, you cannot be a follower of Jesus. That seems kind of contradictory. For most of us, this is an upsetting passage. Here is our discomfort. Does Jesus really mean that? Does he really mean that? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? He can't possibly mean this, can he? Can he possibly mean this? And some scholars would say no. Some scholars would say, no, he doesn't mean it. They would explain that in the language that Jesus was speaking, there was no qualifier that allows him to soften this. And in their culture, they all would have understood that he was making a comparison and not a harsh statement. That's what they would explain. And that's why other translations soften this a little. Look at the same verse in the New Century translation. It says this, if anyone comes to me but loves his father, mother, wife, children, brothers or sisters or even life more than me, he cannot be my follower. Now how many of you are more comfortable with that translation than the one that uses the word hate? Yeah, me too. But still we can't overlook the fact that Jesus is calling us to one crucial choice. He's calling us to one crucial choice. Jesus is saying we have to make a choice if we're going to follow him. And this crucial choice that we have to make is a choice that everyone has to make if they choose to follow him. And the choice is who is going to be 
the top priority in my life? Who will I love so much that it looks like I hate everyone else in comparison to the level of love that I have for Jesus? Now, you're thinking, wait a minute. Putting it that way means that these verses are still upsetting, even when we soften the translation a little bit. Because if many of us are honest, we might still be uncomfortable saying, I love Jesus more than I love my kids. I love Jesus more than I love my spouse. I love Jesus more than I love my parents. What Jesus said that day wasn't easy for the people listening to him to digest and understand any more than it's easy for us to digest and understand. Let me look at this from a couple of different angles. First, look at the problem of making Jesus one of my priorities. The problem of making Jesus one of my priorities. Clearly, Jesus says in this passage that we just read, he wants to be not just one of our priorities, but our top priority. He doesn't just want to be prominent in my life. He wants to be first in my life. He wants to be preeminent. But the problem is, other things kind of sneak in and end up being the top priority in my life. And I'm not talking about sinful things. I'm, I'm not talking about bad things. I think most often the things that sneak in and knock Jesus out of first place in my life are good things, not bad things. Good things. The things that sneak in today aren't much different than the things that snuck in in Jesus' day. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 14 where we read this. Let's look at that story. Start with verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But all alike, they began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. Hmm. The master became angry. Why? Well, this wasn't a spontaneous invitation. This wasn't a sudden invitation. In their culture, they would have been invited very early and they would have accepted or rejected the invitation. And uh, when it came time for the party, when they went to gather the people who had accepted the invitation, the people begin to make excuses. Picture people RSVPing for the dinner after your wedding and you pay for the meal and it's already and then they make excuses and don't come. That's what's happening here. It's time for them to come to the party and they begin to make excuses. And that was really rude in their culture. But look at the excuses they make. The first guy said, I bought some land and I need to go check it out. Basically, he says, please excuse me because of what I own because of my possessions. The second guest said, I bought some new equipment for my farm and I have to try it out and so excuse me because of my job or 
because of my work. The third guy apparently has eloped since he received the invitation to the party. And he says, please excuse me because of my family, because of my wife. Now notice, none of these are bad things. Not one of these things is a bad thing. In fact, most of them are good things. But this points out the fact that for us, it's a constant contest. It's a constant contest. It tells us that good things often get in the way of the best things. Good things often get in the way of the best things. And it's hard to keep Jesus first because we have these other priorities. And we say, you know, Jesus, I have some vacation property, so excuse me from my commitment so I can go use it. And, or we say, you know, Jesus, if I'm going to succeed at work, I, I have to work and miss church or my growth group, and so please excuse me. Or, you know, my family obligations are going to cause me to cut back on serving or cut back on attending or cut back on giving. And we make basically the same excuses. We say my possessions, my work, my family. And because not one of them is a bad thing, we think Jesus will understand. We think he will understand. And we make ourselves feel better because truly in our heart and mind, Jesus is one of our priorities. He's one of our priorities. I mean, he's right up there with our spouse and with our kids and with our job and with the things we own and have financed. But when we take this view, we've missed something important. We've missed the demand to make Jesus top priority. The demand to make him top priority. Let's go on with Jesus' story. In the story, after the invited guests make excuses, the master sends out his uh, people out into the streets. to, And he said, go out and find people to come to my party. And so they go out in the streets and they bring back in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And they do this and there's still room in the party. So the master says... Go out and find anyone else you can and compel them to come in so my house will be full. And don't miss the fact that in Jesus' story, the house that the master wants full is heaven. He's talking about heaven. He is saying, go out and invite everyone in so that heaven will be full. And we get that. But don't miss how Jesus ends the story because it's, kind of sobering. Start with verse 24. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get to taste of my banquet. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's right, the verse about hating your family is the explanation of Jesus' story. It's the explanation for his story. 
And I get that the consensus opinion is that Jesus is using an exaggerated hyperbole to get across the point that he has to be our greatest love, that we must love others less than we love him. But here's what I fear. Here's what I fear. I think we have worked hard to make Jesus more comfortable and less radical. We've worked hard to make Jesus more comfortable and less radical. And we want him to be more understanding. We want him to be less demanding. But what if he's not? What if he's not? I mean, what if Jesus intends to be radical in his influence in our life? What if by making his requests more palatable, we have missed the fact that it's not a request at all? It's a demand. Tim Ritter in his book, Not a Safe God, says this, contemporary Christianity is focused so much on God's goodness that perhaps we've forgotten he's a lion. He's not safe, not safe at all. He demands much of us and throws down the gauntlet to the fatal disease of complacency that has infected us. We've made God comfortable, but if we take him seriously, he'll overturn our current lifestyle. Here's what I think. I think Jesus means to be radical in our life. I think he wants, no, he demands to be first and foremost and primary in our lives. And if Jesus is first, that means everything else is second. That means everyone else is second, including our family. Jesus wants us to deal with anything that gets in the way of him. We can't let anything take the place of Jesus. There's only one place in our life that he will accept. He requires that we make him first, top priority, and that everything else falls somewhere beneath that. So when he says we need to hate our family, he is saying, you need to hate anything that competes for first place in your life. You need to hate anything that competes for first place in your life. It doesn't matter whether it's a hobby or a husband. It doesn't matter if it's a promotion or a possession, a 401k or a family member. It all comes second to Jesus, all of it. And that isn't just a request. It's a demand that he has for all who claim to be followers of Jesus. He isn't asking nicely and hope that we say yes. It's a requirement of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, I want you to choose me to the extent that if your family gets in the way of your relationship with me, I will be the ultimate choice. They will lose and I will win. Now, there's a sense in which the entire story of the Bible can be boiled down to this one crucial choice. Are you going to follow Jesus fully and let him control your life and be first place in your life? Or are you going to allow other things, good things, to crowd him out of the top spot in your life? You've got to make a choice there. We could stop right there with the message, couldn't we? 
But there's something else important that I think we need to talk about, that we need to point out, and that's this. Putting Jesus first creates a quiet irony. Putting Jesus first creates a quiet irony. Many wonder, what will happen if I really do this? What will happen if I really put Jesus first, if I prioritize giving my 10% or more uh, to the church over my car payment or my house payment, if I decide, as Pastor Bill shared with us a while back that he did, that my kids will say no to sports if playing that sports means that our family will miss church, what will happen? What will happen if I put Jesus first and say yes to serving even when it means I might have to spend less time on my hobby? And too many people worry that if they really do this, if they really put Jesus first in their life, that they will ruin their life, that they'll have to love their kids less, that they'll not be able to have a hobby, and that they could no longer be on a success track at work. Here's the thing. I think Jesus is radical. I think he demands to be first in our life, but I also think the results of putting Jesus first are kind of ironic. Let me spend some time answering the question, what will happen to everything else if we put Jesus first in our life? The first irony is this, our family stays a priority, but on Jesus' terms. Our family stays a priority. The consistent teaching of the Bible is that we need to put a high value on our family. So when I put Jesus first, my family stays extremely high on my list of priorities. In fact, look at this verse from 1 Timothy chapter 5. It says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Did you catch that? If you don't provide, if I don't provide the things my family needs, I'm worse than someone who never believed in Jesus. I have denied my faith. And the passage does seem to be talking about finances and providing financially for them. Today, we have to be careful about this. This doesn't mean I have to provide all the things they want and, uh, or the luxuries they think that they need. But it does mean I have to provide food and shelter for my family members when they are in need. And that includes my spouse and my kids and my parents and my siblings. But this means I have to provide other needs too. Their need for time and attention, their need for fun and recreation and so much more. One of our problems today is we have begun to equate getting our kids involved in a lot of extracurricular activities like clubs and lessons and sports teams as providing for their needs. And some parents consider it quality time with their kids when they're sitting in the stands watching their kids practice or play a sports or uh, when they're racing to the next event while scarfing down fast food and uh, fussing at their kids so that, it, that they're sure that they're on time. I think we need to be careful that we really are meeting their needs for our time, not replacing that with their desire to be involved or our desire to see them excel at something. So when I put Jesus first, it keeps my family a high priority I think maybe even a higher priority. Second, when we put Jesus first, our purpose becomes a priority, but on Jesus' terms. 
My life verse is Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It says, but my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. And you might be saying, Pastor Steve, that's a great life verse for a pastor who spends his time telling people the good news about Jesus. But don't miss what that verse says to you. What it says to you. And that is, it's saying your life is worth nothing unless you use it to fulfill God's purpose in your life. If you're not using your life to fulfill God's purpose, your life is worth nothing. God has given each person here a purpose to fulfill. There is something he put you on earth to do for him, to achieve for him. And your life will be worth less. It will be worth nothing until you find it. So finding where Jesus wants you to serve in our church and in our community uh, will put will help him be first in your life and it will give you fulfillment it won't rob you of your joy next our church becomes a priority but on jesus's terms jesus calls us to make uh, calls us to make attending church a huge priority in our lives Look at what this passage says. We've looked at it recently, but look at it again. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The reason that we need to be in church on a regular basis is because we need each other. We need each other. We need to push each other towards loving others more and doing the right things more. We need to encourage each other on the difficult days. So if I'm reading that passage right, when we are only in church one or two times a month, two things begin to happen. We get more discouraged and we get more negative and selfish. And so do the people that we care about. Now, how do I know that? Because the passage says, if I'm not at church, no one is pushing me towards love and good deeds. And no one is encouraging me. So I'm getting selfish because I'm not being pushed towards love and good deeds. And I'm getting discouraged and negative because no one's encouraging me. And because I'm not at church, I'm not there to encourage others and push them towards love and good deeds. So they're getting selfish and negative and critical also, you see, being in church is a priority because I need to be there, but also because other people need me to be there. Another thing that happens when we put Jesus first is our responsibilities become priorities, but on Jesus' terms. Making Jesus your top priority doesn't mean that you won't be able to succeed at work. Remember what Colossians 3 says? In all the work you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. So when Jesus is first in my life, I become a better employee. I become the best employee because I'm not working for my boss. I'm working for Jesus. I'm trying to please him. I'm living my life for that audience of one. And that also impacts how I pay my bills and my other financial commitments. If I understand Jesus wants me to work for him and keep my promises, I have to keep my financial commitments too. I have to pay my bills and keep the promises I've made. Well, we're running out of time. Let me give you just one more. Our rest 
becomes a priority but also on Jesus's terms rest and recreation and being refreshed was also part of Jesus's plan for us I mean he was constantly paying attention to his own needs and to the needs of the followers around him in this area look at what it says in Mark chapter 6 crowds of people were coming and going so that Jesus and his followers didn't even have time to eat he said to them come away by yourselves and we will go to a lonely place and get some rest so they went in a boat by themselves to a lonely place. So that's the quiet irony. Basically, when I put Jesus first, everything else falls into proper place. Everything else falls into proper place on Jesus' terms. And Jesus' terms are different than my terms. His terms keep me balanced his terms keep me focused on what's really important. His terms keep me from allowing anyone or anything from pushing him out of the top spot in my life. Now, I was thinking of this message in relationship to Father's Day. And while I was thinking of that, here's what I found myself wondering. Did I do a good job teaching my girls to hate me did I do a good job teaching my girls to hate me now a few times when they were teens they told me they hated me so there's that but did I do a really good job of teaching them to hate me did I help them to make the crucial choice that Jesus is going to be number one in their lives no matter what that they're going to love him to a level that it would appear that they hate everything and everyone else because Jesus is primary. As parents, we need to teach our kids to absolutely hate anything that begins to crowd out Jesus in their life. To hate anything that crowds out Jesus. And can I gently say, I think that lesson is learned by them seeing us radically protecting Jesus' number one spot in our lives. It is best taught when they see us hate anything that tries to push Jesus out of first place in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so many things compete for the top spot in our life. So many good things seem to crowd out what you want for us. And so, Father, would you help us to not just see Jesus' uh, words as a request. Would you help us to see them as a requirement that if I'm going to follow Jesus, I've got to put him first, I've got to love him more, I've got to hate anything that gets in the way of Jesus being first in my life. Father, I've not always done a good job of doing that. But Father, would you help us to fulfill that demand to love you above all else, to love Jesus above all else. And Father, help us to see that when we do that, everything else falls into place. Everything else is balanced and easy when we leave Jesus in the number one spot. 
Father, thank you that you give us chance after chance to get this right. Thank you for your forgiveness. And now, Father, would you help us to take the steps we need to to keep Jesus top priority in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.